everyone. Um, let's, let's just continue in um, prayer for a, a moment um, as we come to think about God's word and what in particular he might be going to show us and reveal to us uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meet with you, to hear from you, to look at your word. And we pray that if you are choosing to reveal things to us, we would take heed. If you are choosing to call us to something, that we would welcome that call. Lord, by your spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John's Gospel comes to us really with one main intention, and that is to show us enough evidence that we might believe in Jesus and have life. That's basically it. And we've followed the life of Jesus through the last few months in our series and seen many signs that point us in this direction. But now things are reaching a climax in this book. Jesus has headed back toward Jerusalem, a place where people are looking for him. Basically, he's a wanted man. He's recently raised Lazarus from the dead, and now he's heading for Bethany, just a few miles outside Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover in the week of ceremonial cleansing or washing. This is actually the beginning of the last week that Jesus has with his friends, family, and disciples. And he knows it, but they don't. So we're going to read now from John's Gospel, and beginning in chapter 11... And we'll start at verse 55, and we'll read through the section um, into chapter 12. It's on page 1079, if you're using these Bibles, the church Bibles, 1079. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Last weekend, we had a big family dinner. Our family were celebrating my mum and dad's 70th birthdays within a month. So my brothers and their families, they were there with us, and we had a great meal together. Actually, there was also um, a pouring out of liquid all over the people's feet, Uh, but it was accidental. Um, The waiter poured out a whole glass of ginger beer from waist height, but I'm pretty sure he didn't intend it. Um, Unlike Mary, because here it's party time, really. It's Passover week, one of the biggest celebrations in the Jewish calendar, and a dinner in honour of Jesus is being held. And Lazarus is there, you know, he's, he's fresh from his death and resurrection experience, probably only a few months. And now he's in a place of friendship, reclining with Jesus. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, are there too. And we know they're well known to Jesus from previous accounts. And the disciples are there. They're always really with Jesus in these pictures we get. And actually, there's probably a good few others as well, probably the hosts and a few other people, if we take the parallel accounts into consideration. So there's a good party going on. And then we get this really, seems really odd act from Mary. And we might consider that a bit odd if it happened today who'd probably say, what's she taken, or something like that. What's she on? But what about then? How might they have seen this sort of act in Jewish circles around this time? Well, actually, this isn't just odd. This is really embarrassing and inappropriate, actually, and incredibly wasteful. But Jesus responds positively to Mary's action. So we really need to give it some consideration if we want to understand um, what Jesus' values here are in Mary's anointing of him. Because Mary is not holding back. This isn't a lukewarm, apathetic kind of response. This really is total devotion And in the first instance, we see the cost of the gift in financial terms. A year's wages, gone in a few seconds. When was the last time you did that? Probably only buying a house or a car. Probably 
a lot of people maybe never. A year's wages in one go like that. Surely Mary could have used maybe sort of half of it or a bit less. But for Mary, why? Jesus was the person she was giving adoration to. There wasn't anyone else. She didn't have someone else to go and pour it over or to give it all to. For her, the present meant more than the future. Jesus was absolutely everything to her. So we see Mary treasures Jesus more than her stuff. Do I treasure Jesus more than my stuff? As well as the financial aspect, what about Mary's social standing? She stoops to anoint Jesus' feet. Well, that's a job for servants. And then she wipes them with her hair, which probably would have meant letting her hair down. And that really um, would be considered quite a disgrace. So she lets her hair down. Mary's not proud. She actually puts what others think aside in order to worship Jesus. She treasures Jesus more than her social position. Do I treasure Jesus more than my pride? Mary also comes in for a lot of criticism here. Surely she should not do that. Judas is vocal in this passage, and her act of worship is seen by him as wrong. Yet she does not seem concerned with her reputation, how others will judge her actions. In fact, she's only concerned with the response of Jesus. Mary is concerned with what Jesus will think, not what others will think. Do I treasure Jesus more than my reputation? Hold on, though. Surely Judas does have a point. Yes, we know he wanted some of the money for himself, but the rest could have been given to the poor, and that would have done quite a lot of good for a lot of people, rather than actually embarrass Jesus and all his hosts and friends. Surely this was a totally wasteful and disgraceful act. Well, I'm going to argue that it's not on the basis that Jesus defended Mary's action. So what did Jesus see? What's the difference between Judas and Mary? (coughs) Judas says, sell it, give the money to the poor. Mary pours it all out over Jesus. The difference between Judas and Mary was the intention, the motivation. Judas' reaction was entirely selfish. He was more interested in what he got than what the poor got. 
Mary was entirely selfless. She did not care about anyone or anything else. She wanted to give of herself to Jesus. People who act like Mary today might be given labels like extreme, radical, too literal or over the top. Um, Don't confuse these terms with um, violence and acts of terror that we might see uh, in the world today. I'm not talking about violence or terrorism. I'm talking about extreme and radical behavior in the sense of worshipping Jesus. And that never leads to violence. It leads to selfless devotion to Jesus Christ. What's the alternative to radical or extreme or over the top? Half-hearted? Well, that's kind of negative, isn't it? We see that as a negative, maybe. Balanced. Actually, we, we take balance as a good thing and say, well, yeah, you've got to have balance. We have got a few sayings, haven't we? Everything in moderation. Or don't put all your eggs in one basket. But actually, these things aren't really said in the Bible. It's all or nothing. That's what we read. And if you're not sure about that, could I ask you to um, have a go at this? Read a gospel with just one question in mind. Is Jesus asking for all or nothing? Or is a balance between Jesus and other things good enough? It's quite an extreme act that Mary goes through with. Why would she do this? And I guess that's the point for us, really. Why, why did Mary act like this? How did she get to be like this? She has known Jesus as a friend. She's a disciple. She's seen him raise her brother back to life. So she knows Jesus. She's seen him act. She's listened to his teaching. She's close to him. And that's what leads her to worship. In short, she loves Jesus and her love motivates her. What will cause us to be all or nothing followers of Jesus? Not guilt. Not duty, but love, love for Jesus. What will cause us to love Jesus? Being with him, focusing on him, being thankful, stepping out in faith, seeing him act. There is also an added dimension here. One of the most significant events in history is unfolding. And maybe not everyone is aware of what they're doing. And we did think about this a bit last week as Sim revealed to us this idea of the greater plan. 
Does Judas see his selfishness leading him to betray Jesus and that act bringing about the death of Jesus and providing the payment for all our sin? No, he he doesn't see that. Does Mary see her anointing of Jesus as a burial anointing? Probably not. But Jesus does. What's the most important thing about this passage? I don't think, first and foremost, it's about Mary. I don't think it's even about, first and foremost, worship. It's about Jesus, I think, and what he is going to do. He's going to give himself, pour himself out, totally, utterly, to the end. He's going to die. John is clear about his purpose in writing this book. He wants people to believe in Jesus from the accounts of what happened. And Jesus takes this act of Mary and uses it to point to his death. And that leads me to look again at Mary's devotion and see a reflection of the devotion and worship of Jesus toward the Father. Jesus knows he is going to his death, yet he continues. It will cost him everything. He will wash the feet of his disciples as Mary has washed his. He will be betrayed and abandoned by his friends. He will be falsely accused and appear publicly as a criminal. People will pass judgments on him. People with selfish motives and interests, but he'll carry on. In addition, he'll suffer anguish, pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, yet he won't give up. Why? Because of his great love for the Father, because of his great love for us. These are put above all the other stuff. They count for more. The pain, the suffering, the humility, the accusation, the cost, it's all considered worth it. It's not a waste to pour out everything as an act of love toward God. So can we really adopt the same attitude toward Jesus? Do everything for him? Because he's the one we love, he's the one we live for. We'll not be judged by any results, or measured against any targets. And the level of our sinfulness won't be a deciding factor. What will count is how we love God. Jesus said the most important thing in the world was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. That's it. 
That's the measure. And Mary does it. Jesus does it. I cannot help all the poor. I cannot make disciples of the whole world. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can love and worship God. And that is what I must do. First and last, totally and utterly. Waste everything that I have and that I am on him. We're about to go delivering invitations. And some might say that's it's a waste of time and resources. But what's important here? Is it how many get delivered? Is it how many people respond to the invitation? Or is it that we love God and love our neighbour? There are two responses to Jesus in this passage. And generally throughout the book of John, those who want to see Jesus, find out about him, be with him, follow him, and then those who want to kill him. There isn't really room for an apathetic kind of response of like, well, I don't really know, don't care really. Jesus is clear in his teaching, anyone who is not for is against. John's writing his gospel so that you may believe and by believing have life. You can follow Jesus now, today, by believing, but it is a costly exercise. The world will probably think you're wasting your life, pouring it out. Like Mary with her perfume. What a waste. But Jesus says, if you follow him, you'll be gaining life. Gaining everything that there is to be gained in this life. And keeping it for eternity. Who or what will have your worship your devotion. Corrie Ten Boom is uh, well known to some of us, but um, she lived a, a life of faith and she has said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands that I still possess so I would encourage you urge you place your whole life in God's hands we're going to have a time of of quiet and reflection and I'm going to use a prayer Um, from a book called Crazy Love, which, if some of these things have perhaps sparked something in you, is is well worth a read by Francis Chan to encourage you uh, in your crazy love. I think the title says it all. Um, But I'm going to pray this a sentence at a time.
and then just leave some quiet in between. Jesus, I need to give myself up. I am not strong enough to love you and walk with you on my own. I can't do it and I need you. Lord Jesus, I need you deeply and desperately. I believe you are worth it. That you are better than anything else I could have in this life or the next. Lord Jesus, I want you. And when I don't, I want to want you. Be all in me. Take all of me. Have your way with me. And I just encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, why not, why not speak to someone um, before uh, we finish together today and, and tell someone that you, I prayed that and then feeling really brave, ask them, can you ask me how it's going next week? So we can help each other because I don't know about for you, but for me, this stuff is really hard to do on my own. I need other people. To help me. So mention to someone that you're trying to do this and can they help you? Ask you how it's going.